0: hello everybody and welcome to becoming human last time we opened up this discussion on uh, justice and we explored retributive justice which is sort of like vengeance and then restorative justice which has this idea that you know if things are going to get better than they currently are everybody's got to be involved in that process and there has to be a a semblance of healing when something is lost, when something has gone wrong. And, And we talked a little bit about what that looks like and how that works. Today we are going to look at a third option. and So I'm here with Bryce Webster again and he's going to drop some philosophical knowledge, some justice knowledge, but also today we're going to get into some theological knowledge. And Um, We haven't really explored a ton about theology on the show thus far Um, but this issue of justice gets into a metaphysical uh, problem that we have of if you want to set things right, if you if you want to do justice, well how do you know what the right thing is? So today as we explore this, You know, this is going to take us further into the restorative justice approach, and hopefully we're going to give some really practical um, explorations of how you can do this, not just on like large macro societal levels, but just like in your daily life. And uh, there's going to be a lot today that is very particular to the Christian tradition. Um, but a lot of these ideas are, are just rooted in particular metaphysical approaches that, you know, we're, we're probably going to be using a, a lot of uh, Christian language because Bryce and I both come from that tradition. But really, these are things like wherever you are at in the human spectrum, you got to think about this stuff. you got you got to consider this stuff because if you if you even say justice is a thing— You got to have some sort of explanation of where that comes from, uh, because there's dangers if you don't. So that's what we are going to get into today. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's become a little bit more human. So I have spent a lot of time uh, on this podcast getting into issues like cosmology and ontology and epistemology and teleology and all these big words that um, friends of mine who listen to the show are always like, you got to stop using so many <laughs> words like that. And and I absolutely agree. Um, and the, seriously, let me be honest. I'm trying to pay attention to my, my technical jargon. I am. Um, but this issue of justice brings this up, right? Because as soon as somebody says, you know this this thing happened, and and we need justice. Or or just put it in in more plain language, um, this event happened to me, and it, and I'm not okay with that. I want to make this right. What determines what is right? In you asking that question, you're asking an ontological question, which could be a teleological question. Right? You're asking about what's the nature of existence. That's ontology. And, and you're 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 saying something shaping how I understand what's good and what's not good, what's right and what's wrong that's that's an issue of morality. That's an issue of teleology. You're saying there's something determining how I approach this issue. And so what we're really talking about here is social ethics and and how you know what is morally okay and what's not. And so if we're saying there's retributive justice and there's restorative justice, um, what we hope to offer today is a framework to approach how you arrive at that and how that can actually inspire you uh, to approach this issue of justice in the healthiest way possible. All right. So, Bryce, you've got a third option for us here. You, you're, you're, you've got something that's going to take us deeper into how, how we approach justice. So what is this third way, you might say?
1: So I think for me, just to start off, this is the uh, the decision that I've made. This is where I think that justice orients itself. This is where justice comes from. Um, it's answering Tyler's question that he posed at the end of the last podcast and in the introduction to this one is if you acknowledge justice, you have to acknowledge what is the source of that justice. Yeah. What is the source of the desire to be just come from? Uh, and like he said... I come from a Christian background. It's ingrained in me. I went to school for it. This is the decision that I've made is to ad- adopt or to put on this understanding of justice based off of how I was raised and what I believe and what I've seen in the world.
0: Yeah, and, um, and so there's going to be some metaphysical assumptions here. Well, absolutely, yeah. And, and I'll say we're not we're not going to take time during nope. this episode to argue for those. No. Um, so if you need to read through Bryce's metaphysical assumptions, that's fine. The question still remains, what shape and how you come to these conclusions? Um, so I, I, I like how uh, what we're going to hear is we're going to hear this is how Bryce came to these conclusions. But we're also going to see the pattern that's an effect of you, you have to do the same thing. If you're going to come to different conclusions, fine. Uh, but you have you have to do this somehow. So so what is what is the uh, conclusions you've come to? What, what do you call this? I call this Eucharistic justice. Uh, in
1: another way, it is justice that orients itself on the uh, communion, on the act of taking the the blood and uh, body of Jesus Christ uh, every Sunday, and and using that as an act of um, acknowledgement of your need for Christ. And so from that point everything that i do is influenced by the communion it's influenced by this eucharistic call to behave in such a way that reflects the person that i believe in the god that i believe in yeah. and what he calls for us and
0: and just to point out um this is something we've talked about uh if i mean you can go back to episode number 1 and it's the idea that philosophy shapes ethics and and in the christian tradition I, i'll go ahead and be honest you don't see this a lot in the christian tradition unfortunately no. um but the idea is that a a certain metaphysical and philosophical perspective is supposed to ethically shape your real-time behavior <laughs> and and technically yeah. um if you look at the the theological framework of eucharist um that's what it's meant to do yeah um i'll i'll drop a little note here if you get caught up in this eucharistic stuff and you're like i There there seems to be something, some details there both uh, in agreement on and and I'm not catching. Um, There's another podcast that I'm a part of called The Bible Archives. And if you go back in that, there is a whole series of episodes on uh, the background of Eucharist and communion. So if you need to pause this and go listen to that stuff so you kind of know what we're talking about, do that because we ain't going to cover all that detail here. We don't don't have time for it. Um, All right, so what is... Eucharistic justice.
1: So I actually wrote a paper in grad school when I was working on my master's that I entitled Eucharistic justice. And so a lot of what I'm going to say comes from that and it's bits, bits and pieces from that, uh, that argumentation that I had. So I said that Eucharistic justice is a kind of justice that is rooted and finds its origin, not in the self oriented desires of human reason, but in the selfless all encompassing grace and compassion present in the reality of communion. So the idea of me coming to the table in the acknowledgement of my need for Jesus, for Christ, will then turn me around after I'm done. And all the decisions that I make with how I talk to people, how I engage in certain situations, is all influenced by that understanding, is that I'm a broken human being, who deeply needs the grace and compassion of Christ that I receive at the table. So in the paper that I wrote, I used a guy named George Huntzinger, and he uh, says the, Eucharistic, the Eucharist is a countercultural uh, action because it requires believers to not only conform to Christ in his sacrificial self-giving, but also to rise above the cultural antagonisms of religion, ethnicity, status, and gender. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. I think that's uh, a really important thing to understand when you're talking about what Eucharistic justice is. Is it's a, it's a relieving of whatever power you might have in a certain situation to thwart over someone else, to thwart over a certain situation, and saying that there's another way of being informed of how to act. In this certain situation, so the Eucharist demands that the community understands itself as a part, uh, a group of disciples who feed the hungry and clothe the naked. They give voice to the speechless and the humiliated. The fundamental nature of Eucharist confronts systems of oppression and condemnation. And I really want to make a point there that for me, that's the transformational thing in Eucharistic justice: is its acknowledging where oppression stands.
0: Okay. And what, do you, what do you mean by that?
1: So oppression of somebody, like the idea that people are homeless, they don't have a place to live, they don't have food, not everybody's being paid an equal wage. There's, you know, like we talked about in the last podcast, the idea of they arguing justice is whatever the strongest person, whatever laws they can put out is what justice is. The oppression would be to make a law, that then doesn't allow certain somebody of a certain color to vote in an election, or they can't get a bank loan, or there's certain stereotypes that come with that. The Eucharistic justice in that action, in that reality, says that you have to confront those systems. That that's yeah. a part of this justice that's now, given to us.
0: I'm going to play the layperson here. Okay. Because... Um whether you're talking about uh, Buddhism or Islam or Christianity or humanism, like materialist humanism, most people would go, "Yeah, hey, uh, everybody in in an American democracy, everybody should be able to vote, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, my neighbor is dying; that we should fix that, right? So most people are willing to agree with these things. And here's what I uh, understand you. be saying through this concept is that those morals, that moral bend is not rooted in your ability to come to those conclusions on your own. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you can't. It's not not to say that whatever you think is wrong as a human being, you're talking about finitude, Mm -hmm. that you don't know everything that's supposed to happen. So when we ask that question, when you you know, you know say something's good or bad or right or wrong, where does that come from? You're saying it shouldn't come from a human being who's also potentially a little bit off course. Uh-huh. Um, and, and this is a concept that I think we're going to get into here in a little bit called deontology, where a, a moral authority is given that's not just the human being itself. Right. And in doing that... You're allowing the good and bad, the, the, the right and the wrong, to not just be determined by your own preferences. Uh-huh. And I think that's the important thing here. Um, and, and that's something that I, I think a lot of, if we want to call them secular, I, I don't like the word secular sure, yeah, necessarily. Right. Um, or, or just humanist perspectives is, at the end of the day, if it's just based on what you think, you know, what your preference is towards right or wrong, that's not a really good gauge right. for whether or not it's it's going to be helpful for everybody outside of you. Right. right. So it's really hard to do restorative justice if justice is just based on what you prefer. Mm-hmm. And so, in articulating the Eucharistic approach, you know, you, you disagree with Christianity, you disagree with the idea of Eucharist. Fine. What's informing whether or not something is just what you prefer, or if it's actually good, you know everybody's functioning with a teleology. Uh, that, that's my opinion. There's, sure. there's a ton of philosophers who would disagree with me on that. Oh, absolutely. But everybody's functioning with some sort of teleology. Um, because when somebody says, I don't want my, my spouse to be murdered. Why? Just because that's what you prefer? Mm-hmm. Or is there a larger reason why? And where does that come from? And so, what I hear you saying, you know, if I'm trying to translate here, mm-hmm. is that comes from an expression of the Eucharist that has metaphysical claims, that has ethical claims, and that should give a depiction of not only your place in the universe as a finite human being, mm-hmm. but also what the universe as a whole can bend towards. Right. right. Um. All right. So, so how does this concept of uh, Eucharistic justice? Right, start, start pulling this more together. Like, Give us some more pieces here. Yeah.
1: So it's essentially what I've uh, been talking about in the, in the confronting systems of oppression is that the Eucharistic community must be prepared for occasions where faithfulness to Christ means noncompliance to the world around us. The Eucharistic community cannot maintain an integrity that is obedient to Christ if it is not willing to suffer ridicule and condemnation from other cultures for their obediences. Um, whether it's in actions of boldness or modesty, the community will always be chastened or beholden to in its quest for social responsibility. Uh, it always needs to be informed by a sense of its own finitude. So like you were talking about earlier, is that you're being motivated. There's, a, there's an aspect of your participation in this kind of justice that is in direct response to the fact that you are not immortal, that you are a human being who can be broken. And that is something that you can't forget in your participation in that kind of justice or this kind of justice that we're talking about. Yeah, and
0: I think another way to look at that is if, if your moral action is just based on the rules you made, that... Hitler did that. <laughs> yep, he sure did. And, and, and so again, Paul Potts. You, you, you disagree with the, the construct, of fine. Uh, if, if we're going to say that ethical preference is determined by uh, whatever you happen to know, which is limited, your perspective is very limited, um, or what you have experienced, that's a really bad way to decide what everyone should do. Right. And so I love, I love this quote in going social responsibility is not up to you. Something has to shape that we can argue day and night about what should shape that, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be just you. Uh, that, that, that is the definition of how tyranny begins. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's what I meant. And when I said that, you know, this can be very dangerous depending on how you approach this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that, that notion of like this needing to be informed by a sense of your finitude, you know, you what is the morally just thing to do? I love this approach because it says, let's start with you shouldn't be the only person right. to have input on that. Right. We, we got to find somewhere else to go with this. Right. Um, but then it, it's also this idea of social responsibility and hope. And well, now you're saying there's some sort of tele- teleology that's shaping what this ought to look like, and it's one that you didn't decide. Um, and And I think both of that's important. But what I love about the the Eucharistic approach is that it implies a, a certain teleology. So mm-hmm. the way things ought to be implies certain action now, right? There's a certain pattern, there's a certain model. Uh, there, there's a certain way that things should look. And so we get to experience that, that informs us. And now it becomes quite easy to go. I'm in this situation. Right. Guy, you know, this is the metaphor we used last episode. Guy cuts me off in traffic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what do I do? Not my own ethical preference. Right. I have to be in, be formed by something that's going to help me act in a way that makes this the best case scenario for everybody involved because that's also going to be best for me. Right. Like that all just starts coming together for me the, mm. the, as you, as you talk about this. So one of the reasons that
1: I, another reason that I chose Eucharistic justice as, as a model by which I, I live my life is there's an acknowledgement of you're a part of a people group. You're a part of a group of people. And, uh, an author, Margaret, uh, Scott says that this group, group of people is made up of people, real people who are both saints and sinners, those who care deeply and those who care to move on, um, those who struggle for their own survival and those who fight for the survival of others, those who see God and those who are groping to find Him.
0: Is that the interdependence conversation there? Yeah. Okay, so it starts mm-hmm. with finitude. Right. Uh, and and then the finitude leads you to... Uh, uh, concede to some sort of teleology that's going to uh, inform ethical virtue and behaviors now, mm. uh, but I, so th- so this brings up and and you know again if you went and listened to all that stuff that we did on Eucharist <laughs> uh, on that other podcast, it, one of the things that I love about it is it assumes there's a corporate nature to your yeah. existence. So that's kind of what this is going back to the restorative approach, you know the Amish example from mm. the previous episode. They just assume that the people involved are a part of them. Right. So they better act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Is that... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly what
1: it, it's it's saying. And For me, I was never somebody who enjoyed doing things alone. I'm still not that person. Um, <laughs> I don't always enjoy doing things alone. So the idea that I'm a part of something, specifically part of a people who are concerned with justice... But are starting from the point of their acknowledgement of their brokenness and their need for Christ are then moving out together to participate in a way that's disruptive to society. Not to destroy society or to say that people who don't believe in Christ aren't important. But it's what we're bringing with us that's different than retributive justice and restorative justice in my mind. Yeah. And it continues on with, okay, restorative is like, all right. We've established this stuff, this, this way of living. The Amish example, like we talked about in the last yeah. podcast, they've created this relationship. But you, The Eucharist suggests this is a group of people coming together, acknowledging what they don't have and what they need from God and moving forward and going, okay, we're going we're gonna to mess things up metaphorically, uh,
0: or literally, or literally,
1: in in some senses, because I think a lot of times what we're searching for is is what we find, what we can get at the, at, at the Eucharist table, and that we can get at the community table, that we get in that group, mm-hmm. and so um, I really liked the way that Margaret made that argument. Um,
0: yeah, it, and what you're getting towards here, you know, I love that image of. You know, technically, a a, a church uh, should be a group of people who have been formed and shaped collaboratively uh-huh. and, and and corporately, and they go out and they put this on display, right? Well, you don't. You, anybody who you know heard you give uh, Margaret uh, Scott Scott's argument there. I was like, "Yeah, I call BS because <laughs> sure. they're looking at at least in America a church that doesn't do that." No, not and, at all. And, and, and at its at its least, if we can, if the if the and I know that I have another podcast where I sort of deal <laughs> with some of these issues. Right. Uh, if, if the church enacted itself in a way where it simply went, you know, hey, what are these teleological values? Let's go ahead and make those real in the the context surrounding us you know I, I think there'd be a lot more people that would at least be okay with the existence of churches instead you've got you know Westboro baptist and yeah
1: whatever just well, you could have a whole other set of podcasts on yes. <laughs> on why the church doesn't embody that and some of the, a lot of this can sound idealistic absolutely a I major mean,
0: restorative justice itself is an ideal mm-hmm. are we going to do that in every instance absolutely not right uh is is that the most practical thing in a situation of dire distress? Probably not. But it's something that should be nurtured. Oh, it's absolutely. an ideal that should be pursued. And and here's the thing with what you're, you're saying. You know, finitude, interdependence. And now what you're going to is that actually creates transformation. Uh-huh. And, and here's the deal. So I, I know where you're going. <laughs> you're about to bring up a, a man who is... Uh, Christocentric in every <laughs> uh, frame of the word. Sure. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm guessing a lot of people have never heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That is a shame. But but here's the deal. Theology aside, this is who you're about to introduce us to, is one of the greatest social ethicists to ever live. and And that might only be because Dietrich Bonhoeffer was put in a situation of dire distress. <laughs> yeah. Germany when Hitler is rising to power, unmatched. Um, but so even if you disagree with the theology, fine. Dietrich Bonhoeffer still got something to say. We should listen. Oh, yeah. So so how does how does Bonhoeffer enter into this idea, in, in especially in the context of transformation? Yeah,
1: it should be clear and noted that I have some kind of an obsession with this uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer that we're speaking of, simply because he believed he he lived out what he believed in his argumentation in his his everyday life and the things he created yeah. in the situations he put himself um so much so that at the end of his life uh the executioner uh says that bonhoeffer because he he was 2 weeks out from being his camp being liberated he got thrown into a concentration camp yeah. 2 weeks before his um before it got liberated by the allied forces and he was hung and as he's walking to the 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 gallows, the executioner said he stripped his clothes off and confidently said, This is the end, but for me it's the beginning of life. That is a dude
0: that completely yeah. believes what he's saying. Yeah, he's he's not just writing books. No. He's he's writing about what he's actually experiencing. Right. And that and that's the thing with Bonhoeffer is you want to disagree with the theology that uh-huh. he's articulating, or the language? He's fine. The when you, if you're talking about justice, this is a person who not only wrote eloquently about what it looks like, but also practiced it really well. We might want to listen. Uh-huh. We, we might want to hear what he has to say. And what Bonhoeffer is articulating is that justice cannot occur without some sort of undergirding substance that transcends the human notion of of ideology. Right,
1: right. right. So Bonhoeffer says in his uh, book Ethics, in this chapter entitled Christ, Reality, and Good, that the quintessential question in which Christians ask when they want to engage with being good and doing good are, how can I be good and how can I do something good? For Bonhoeffer, these are the wrong questions to be asking. Instead... Christians must ask the question, what is the will of God? When this question is asked, the Christian makes a statement about who they believe to be in control of reality. More precisely, it presupposes that God's in control.
0: Yeah, and this is the idea. So this is where Bonhoeffer is one of the most famous deontologists. Uh-huh. So deontology is a living virtue according to duty. Uh, o- obedience to something that transcends you. Like, well, he's a German, so duty was a, is a huge yeah. part of their life. And we we should note, Bonhoeffer pushed for um, obliging oneself to principles that weren't created by a human because Nazism was created <laughs> by a human. Right. So what he's doing is saying, if we're only going to... Uh, Determine what justice and uh, is, and what good is, and what ethics are, based on what we think and feel and prefer. You're going to end up with Hitler. Right? How do we avoid that happening? We have to somehow transcend ourselves. So, yes, yeah, this is where the metaphysics comes into play. Right. You got to have conversations about that. Um, but, but somehow you have to have something that goes be, because if you're talking about, um, you know, whatever your ethical preference is, you can never know. All that needs to be known to determine what the right thing is. You are way too limited as a sentient human being. So you're depending on something, whether that's previous thinkers or tradition or history or science or whatever you want to do. You're depending on something to help fill in the gaps of what you're not capable of coming to conclusions on. What Bonhoeffer says is the more metaphysically accurate you can get the more likely you are to come to some sort of notion of good that's actually going to be good uh-huh. or at least better than what we're able to come up with ourselves. Right. right. And he's doing this while staring down Hitler, like yeah, literally. Hitler, of all people. Bryce alluded to, he's in prison, he gets executed, um, and, and he's in a concentration camp. That's because he was a part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. You you want to hate on Bonhoeffer? Go ahead. You didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. Right? The, 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 this guy was shaped by something absolutely formative that did something that most human beings never arise to the occasion of. And he's Bonhoeffer's claiming that is metaphysically shaped. My understanding of the universe mm-hmm. is what compels me to live in this certain way. And the transformation on the other side of that is what allows him to say, this is not my justice. Right. In fact, he kind of disagreed with himself of, of assassinating somebody. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a completely Th- that contentious was hard spark for him. But for he him. understood if justice is going to happen, this is something that I have to go through. Right. With. Um, but to be clear,
1: he his position in that attempt to assassinate Hitler was to use his influence to get the attention of a certain guy named George Bell who uh, was a pastor in England. Uh, So there was no him carrying a bomb in a briefcase to to blow up Hitler. But that doesn't negate anything that Tyler said. He was was a hardcore uh, pacifist through and through, even though it was something that he struggled with from time to time. So to move on, I think what Tyler uh, is getting at is uh, he changes the question. So I'll say Bonhoeffer goes on to argue that to acknowledge God as the proprietor of reality— demands that Christians engage with
0: society in a way that reflects this disposition. Yeah, that, that's, that's the part right, right. there. You know, what, what's your authority? What's shaping this? And he's going, my, my understanding of the universe is actually giving me a, a way to now interact with the universe. And that's what you're talking about right. with Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So he says, of ultimate importance then is not that I become good or that the condition of the world be improved by my efforts, but that the reality of God shows itself everywhere to be the ultimate reality. We are not the choosers of a particular social ethic that we think is the most Christ-like to participate in. Instead, the source of Christian ethics is not our own reality or self, not the reality of the disbelieving world or the pre-existing structures of society, but the reality of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. As Bonhoeffer says, In Christ we are invited to participate in the reality of God, And the reality of the world at the same time, the one not without the other, living life in such a way that I never experienced the reality of God without the reality of the world, nor the reality of the world without the reality of God. And that quotation to me sums up everything that we that you were talking about previously. Okay, about how there is a call on a Christian's life if you are participating in what we're calling Eucharistic justice. That the things you do, and he, and if you if you need a book to read that is simple, because Bonhoeffer has a, a, a crap ton mm-hmm. of books that are absolutely uh, almost unreadable for some for some people. Is his book Life Together? Yeah, it's about his time at uh, the seminary that he ran in Germany before the Nazis shut it down, and all of that is the call on a Christian's life on how they pray, how they engage how they listen all of those things are influenced by this disposition and understanding of God giving of himself to us to help us in our finiteness yeah. to help us in our finitude
0: with a goal of transforming culture
1: right uh, absolutely a, a it doesn't stop society. with you
0: yeah right it doesn't right, right. stop with
1: just your own brokenness or
0: yeah and and uh, to be honest like Bonhoeffer is working with a lot of what we would call epistemological assumptions. Sure. Um, a few episodes ago, we we I, I went into a lot more depth about what those are. But the reality is, you as a human being, you can't know everything. So you assume certain things. And is Bonhoeffer making some assumptions that can't be scientifically proven? Absolutely. He would sure. say, say so. Uh, but so are all of us. Right. Whatever your disposition is. You're working with that. What you have to respect about Bonhoeffer is that he knew what they were, uh-huh. and he knew what they led to. He, this is—he's not entering into this uh, understanding of justice and transformation blindly. No, he—he he knows what's shaping it. Um, that's something that I don't think can be said for a a, a lot of people, and. Um, this idea of the Eucharist being the primary depiction of what ought to shape how one then lives. Now you're able to enter into a situation of wrongdoing or evil or oppression or suffering or whatever that is. And you can look at that and go, I know what this ought to look like now.
1: Mm -hmm. I could say, I'll give an example of what I'm trying to get at with the Eucharistic justice. I've spent my entire Collegiate and post-collegiate career Putting myself through school by being a bartender So I'm a bartender That's what I would do I'd make cocktails
0: A very good one (laughs) by the way
1: I appreciate that Uh, I'd make cocktails So my job description is to be a bartender And do everything that is required of a bartender to do Take the orders, make the drinks Cut the, the garnishes All of that stuff That is the thing that defines my existence from when I walk into work to when I leave. So my role in the restaurant, there are certain jobs that a bartender would do that the host doesn't do. In comparison, to be somebody who participates in Eucharistic justice, there are certain things that are called, that are expected of you in this act. Mm-hmm. Because you've decided that this is the telos. This is the defining thing that I'm going to choose to be a part of.
0: Yeah, the, the language we've used before is this is the center that I'm trying to right. move towards. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's going to shape what I do in the real moment right now. Right. The technical language for that is um, you know, teleology and virtue. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we all do every day. The, the difference is, do you, do you know what those things are, or are you guessing? Or is it just based on your preferences? And I think what Bonhoeffer said would say is you can't have justice if you're guessing. Yeah. Because that's going to base be based on whatever you happen to see and feel in the moment. And let's be honest, you don't you're not working with all the information. Well that and it's based on all your own biases that you have. Yeah. Which again Hitler was working with like that. Right. <laughs> yep. and, and that's that's the disparity here. You know, mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer and Hitler are on opposite sides of the spectrum. Right. And I think that's what's powerful about it. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it in terms of that, you know, your job as a bartender gives you certain constraints now right. of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Having something that shapes your justice gives you constraints. And in a culture where we are so enthralled with freedom. Yeah. In And the conversation that we've had is there's a difference in freedom where, you know, freedom from something, freedom from constraints. I can do whatever I want. Right. Well, then you're not going to be very just. Mm-hmm. A different perspective on freedom is I have freedom to be the best bartender. Right. I have freedom to move closer to that center. Mm. I have freedom to pursue a certain kind of justice and transformation in the world and that means there's a lot of things you're not going to do. Right. So one of the things you see with Bonhoeffer is if you're going to you know practice restorative mm-hmm. justice in this way, there's a lot of things you can't do now and a, a, a very strict set of expectations of what you need to do in a moment. And that's what makes justice easier mm-hmm. because now you have a depiction of which the Eucharist is one that shows you very literally Here's how I need to enter into this situation. You are given the inspiration uh, and the information for what ought to happen, as opposed to you guessing or you just doing whatever happens to suit you in a moment. Those things will never lead to a better world. All right. um, that that that's one of the things. Um, that that that's what I really see happening here, and that goes back to the question: what's shaping? Why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. If it's just you, be careful. Yeah, good luck. At, 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 at best, you're going to get lucky. <laughs> at, at worst, right. it's dangerous. Like, downright dangerous. It is. Um, but this this all goes back to, you know, I am not a fan of materialism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think the the mechanistic view of the world I understand where it comes from I hear you the, you science-minded people out there I <laughs> hear you seriously I do uh but you know one of the things that I come across is somebody who is you know a humanist or or just very materialist and then they talk about something being good or bad or right or wrong and it's like oh well why why is that good or why is that bad if it's all just a bunch of mechanical processes then nothing's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Making that jump into morality, that's got to be de- dependent on something that informs what's good or bad. And I, I guess that's just something I see. If we're, you can say there's no such thing as justice. Now you have a different conversation and debate on your hands. Mm-hmm. If you're saying that justice is a thing, you, you almost can't stop with the last episode of retributive versus right. restorative something has to be shaping that. Yeah. That's a really important part of this conversation.
1: So I think the way that I would close in talking about Eucharistic justice is it's a conscious decision made in response to your coming to the table, the communion table, in your finiteness, in your brokenness, and being like, I want to be a part of a people group. That is set out to to mess things up a little bit in the world to 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 fight for the people that don't have a voice, and that it's being influenced by the one who gave it all you know, in Christ, in the Christian tradition is jesus and for for all of our our brokenness and our inabilities to do things on our own that we come together and 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 fight for something together. But, yeah, the acknowledgement is that I'm, I can't do this on my own and that the call on our lives as Christians is to fight for this justice, to argue for the inclusion of all people in a way that is reflective of who Christ was in, in Jesus and, and in God. So I think that would be the quickest
0: summation of what we just talked about. All right, so the real question here is what do we do with all? This and, and we've kind of hinted at some we things. We all go as be Bonhoeffer. Gone. <laughs> that would actually not Hitler. That would literally make the world a better place. <laughs> um, no, what do we what do we do with this? And there's a couple factors or ingredients that that we've been mentioning throughout um, that I think are worth just noting here at the end for anybody who's managed to make it sure. this far in the episode. Thanks for listening. Um, the first I, I think is. One of the primary characteristics of justice, is, you know, we're going to take the restorative approach. Okay. In order to make that a real thing, it seems like one of the primary characteristics is to acknowledge your finitude, uh-huh. to acknowledge that it, justice isn't going to happen best if it's just dependent on what you happen to see and know and feel and experience and prefer. And, and like I had mentioned, you know that that can even that can even be dangerous. But if you're going to attempt uh, as as best as possible to make justice happen, you need to transcend yourself somehow, and that's going to allow you to pursue something that's bigger than just you. Um, so that's one of the things that I hear uh, within the within this concept of eucharistic justice. The other one, I think, would be interdependence. You know, throughout the language you're using of Eucharist and Bonhoeffer, there there is an assumption here that what is good for the whole is also good for me. Yeah. And the better we can meet the needs of the cosmos, uh, the world as a whole, and, and I'm even including within that, you know, the environment and the created order. And, yeah. Um, things beyond just human beings um, to see ourselves as interdependent. Um, and this is, you know, let I really want to, I really want to, these are big ideas. yeah. And, and this is the problem with the phrase justice is this is really big idea that's kind of abstract and yet it infiltrates every moment of every day. Yeah, it's everywhere. And I, I really want to bring this down to a very practical level for us. And so, you know, thinking about, okay, so you're, you sense something is wrong you know step one what's step one Ign- transcend yourself here don't just base whatever you're about to do on what you're sensing you want in the mm-hmm. moment get past that which means you have to have something that's informing that right. and if you don't acknowledge what's informing that then somebody's going to inform it for you yeah. and you never know what they're going to give you um but then also is a, almost like a litmus test you can you can give yourself as to whether or not this is going to be just is, is this good for the whole or is this good for me? Mm-hmm. Is this helping my mutual interdependence with somebody, even if I don't like them? Or is this just what I want right here? So there's a sort of the acknowledge your finitude, transcendence and uh, interdependence. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of making some of this up. I, there's not probably technical things sense. for this, but um but I mean, just within all of this, like you, you do, you do have to choose something here. Yeah, you got to make and, a decision. And I think those are two things that can help. Whatever, whatever direction you're going with the the justice conversation, is I think those are two really important mm. uh, parts. One thing that you seem to be bringing up within this as well, in a real practical way, is to see yourself as collaborators with the people around you. Yeah even if they're not like in your inner circle. I know you brought that up in the first episode of Justice. Um, But the real big point that, you know, I've heard you kind of mention this throughout, and especially as you were just talking, um, talking about very social situations, you know, I'd like to remind everybody, Bryce's master's degrees in social justice, so <laughs> you know he, he has some very particular thoughts about Just uh, a few. Sci- society as a whole. Mm. Um, but transformation seems to be seems to be like the goal here. Yeah. Wait, So do you, would you say that if you're talking about justice, uh, the most important ingredient is is this transforming things for the better, or how would you phrase that? I think if you're if you're willing to participate
1: injustice and in Eucharistic justice justice specifically in a way that is open and honest to what is actually necessary in that what in, if you're open to those things that you are uh free towards not free from but free towards yeah. there will be transformation that happens. Yeah. You can't behave in such a manner and have the experiences that you'll have participating in this kind of justice mm-hmm. openly and willingly that aren't going to transform. They are absolutely going to transform you as a person and help be a catalyst for a stronger desire to be better, to be good, or to be just, as the philosophers would say.
0: One of the ways I really like thinking about this is, like, if you pursue this, you know, the transcending yourself and interdependence, things ain't going to be the same. Right, The way things mm-hmm. are are not the way things will be. And I think that, you know, even uh, just thinking back to what Plato was writing about with Socrates in the mm-hmm. first episode, um, there are things that are just improving the good and that's justice too. It's not right. just in response, a reflex to what was wrong. Right, absolutely. It, it, it's also going, hey, things could be better right mm-hmm. now. Here's, here's this... Uh, Uh, this inspiration that's driving what I think this ought to look like. Let's make that happen in real time and space. And that's where this gets really daily. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because everything you do, nothing you do is morally neutral. Nothing. Everything has some sort of moral value to it. So every decision you're making is either just or unjust. Right. And it's really really weird to think of that. Like when you brush your teeth. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how, how do you, how do your you, toothbrush? how do you brush your teeth with justice? Yeah, you know, but it, and I know that's a that's a very trite example. It might be trite, but I think it gets
1: at something of saying that we have uh, inoculacized ourselves, or we've we've put ourselves in a hermetically sealed bubble with the things that we like, and we forget that it does come down to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It is where did you buy your computer? Yeah. Where did you get your clothes? Who made your clothes? That kind of stuff, those thoughts that you have
0: is and, and, an act. Of and they're justice. so multifaceted. Like, how do you use your computer? Uh, mm-hmm. Is brushing your teeth helping you sustain your life in a way that's going to be helpful for how you're able to interact with the world? I mean, the, the questions are manifold oh, yeah. uh, surrounding all of these issues. But that's where we have to we have to consider restorative justice is not just a response to something gone wrong and the possibility for how this can improve things, Mm -hmm. the transformation that can ensue. And I think back to that Amish story. Yeah. And the response of the Amish people of that family is not just to be nice people. They're actually trying to improve the very fabric of how their place works, Mm -hmm. functions. It should be different because we have interacted with something. Mm -hmm. And the difference should be for the better yeah we should move closer to that that center that goal that vision, because we take every single moment seriously, mm-hmm. and then, when something terrible does happen, it's no different. You're right. not approaching it any different than how you've been approaching every single moment mm-hmm. so I guess the last thing I would ask is you know in a such situation where justice needs to happen, right what should we be thinking like what what's the framework we should have in our mind so that we're able to respond in a way that's actually good and beautiful and true i think first off the 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 reality that you have is it
1: this takes a while to propagate it takes a while to get ourselves in a position to have this become a normal part of our everyday thought process um but I think in certain certain situations once you just have to be more you have to be more aware of what's happening. Because it is you're gonna see it more in the smaller things than in situations like a school being school kids being killed. It's yeah. in your everyday interactions that are happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the the most simple question is Is this what's happening? Is this whatever I'm doing? is this contributing to making the world better to being a better person uh, at at a simplistic level
0: yeah and Mm -hmm. I like that word repair Mm -hmm. that we use to to talk about restorative justice you know whatever I'm doing any any action it's going to have an ethical uh, framework to it if that's the case then any action hey is this is this putting things back together Mm -hmm. is this Making things good, or or one of the ways we talked about justice is this setting things right, right? You know, in in the health of your body, in your mental state, in your marriage, in your community, in society, and economics and global issues, it, you can use that framework to go: is is this setting things right, right? Or at least more right than they were the moment before, right now. And if you take that bend. I think that's something that can placate itself in any situation. And the reality here is one that is kind of a theme of this podcast, which is you kind of have to spend some time Mm -hmm. figuring out what is right. You know, um, if you heard nothing else from today, my hope is that you don't determine what is right based on, what you prefer to happen in a given situation. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, catch yourself doing that. Yep. And then start figuring out what is the transcendent, uh, interdependent good that can come from whatever I decide to do right now. Well, thank you, Bryce, for joining us for these past couple episodes. Thank Uh, you. Hopefully this, this was beneficial uh for you all in content but also in just hearing a different voice Uh, and it's something that i hope to be able to do um because hey i'm a limited finite sentient human (laughs) being and i am not working with all the information so it's really good to have somebody um share different perspectives and thoughts and expertise on 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 things that can actually help how we live um so hopefully you got something out of these episodes on justice, and I look forward to continuing to explore more content next time. See you soon.